Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Duval, welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Your Jaguars, losers of three straight after a narrow defeat at the hands of the Falcons in front of a light, but energetic hometown crowd. Uh, the Jags are now two and nine on the year. They'll travel out west to take on the Los Angeles Rams this weekend. Seven and four Rams, but they are another squad that has lost three straight. Spoiler: It's going to be a big get-right game for the Rams. Am I right, Jeremy? Oh, absolutely. They are so so elated to be playing the Jaguars at this point in their schedule. Tough stretch for them, like you said. They're looking to get right. I mean, the matchups across the board just do not favor the Jaguars at all in any way. Uh, you know, in, in the last couple weeks, if they've been indicative of anything, it's it's just that this team is is headed in the wrong direction right now. So maybe they can pull something out of their bag, uh, you know, to 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 stump LA and, and stump Matt Stafford this week, but uh, I doubt it. But I mean, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, today we'll talk some Jags news and notes. We'll get in our first three-round mock draft of 2022 for the Jaguars, which is very exciting. I know a lot of people are, now that the season is kind of out of hand here, people are starting to look towards free agency and the draft. So we'll kind of get a little intro into what the Jaguars might be looking at in the draft uh, in the first three rounds. And of course, we'll preview Jags at Rams. Check out GenJag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And of course, thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Taproom on Roselle. Jags news. Shaquille Griffin, still in concussion protocol day-to-day. He missed last week. Um, Obviously, you need one of your two starting corners out on the field. 
Yeah, it's getting a little close now, so I'm you know, getting, getting a little concerned here for Sunday. I believe the team flies out on Friday, which means tomorrow will probably be the last day uh, for him to be able to clear protocol and make the trip with the team. Um, I, it didn't look that bad. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not on the field. We're not doctors. We don't understand the impact of the injury. Uh, but, you know, it, it didn't seem like, uh, you know, he had got rung uh, that bad uh, two weeks ago. Um, so, you know, T's and P's to him. I hope he's doing okay. That that's a scary thing, especially when you get into you know concussions in the brain and and you know to see a guy in protocol for you know extensive amounts of time like that, it, it makes you worry. So I I hope that he's good to go. I hope we can get him back to out there on Sunday because like you said, you need those guys out there on the edge. Yeah, especially against this receiving core. I mean, let's let's not forget the the Rams receiving core, even without um, uh, Robert Woods. Robert Woods, it's they're still just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, they are. No doubt about it. Duval Dan Arnold on IR. MCL sprain suffered against the Falcons after what was just a a grown man play. You know, nice catch. Just fighting for extra yards. Comes down with the MCL sprain. Out four to six weeks. With only six weeks left in the season, he's probably on the shelf. Yeah, I'd shut him down. I wouldn't really, you know, get... Uh, any hopes up here? Obviously, the season's over. The Jaguars are not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but let's all be real. Uh, we know in our minds that they are eliminated from the playoffs. They're probably eliminated about three weeks ago. But uh, it just sucks, you know. I mean, every time this team, you know, in, in the rut that they're in, has a bright spot shine through. You know, we talk about Jamal Agnew and, and Dan Arnold. You know, both major bright spots on this dark and, and, and dusky team. And now they're both on IR. Um, so, I, well, I don't think they actually, they did put Darnold on IR. So, yeah. So they made that official too. I mean, it just sucks. You know, as soon as you get something going, you finally have, you know, something to be not proud of, but to be okay with. I mean, Dan Arnold's been great. He's been one of, uh, you know, the sparks of this offense since he's gotten here. I'd hate to see that happen to a guy like that. Yeah, it's, it's a rough one for sure. Sucks for Trevor. Uh, but uh, I mean, if there's any solace, at least James O'Shaughnessy's back. Not the same player, but he's at least a quality, quality guy to have out there catching some passes. Um, Miles Jack, Damian Wilson, they both mispracticed on Wednesday. Miles Jack is still dealing with the knee. He's been missing practice consistently the last few weeks, so you would think that that's not a major concern. Damian Wilson did suffer the ankle injury. Um, if you don't have him, that's not great. He's a good, very good run defender for the Jaguars. You're probably looking at a lot of Shaq Quarterman if Damian Wilson can't go. Devon Hamilton and Malcolm Brown, they both missed practice as well, and you cannot be without those guys. When you're talking about stopping the run, those are your two key cogs in the middle. Yeah, and unfortunately enough for the Jaguars, they're playing a Rams team that does not run the ball very effectively, does not run the ball very well. Um, obviously, the loss to Cam Makers uh, was a huge blow there. Daryl Henderson is a serviceable back, though, and if you give him the chance uh, you know, to make a couple runs and hit the hole, he will do so. So like you mentioned, those four guys right there are great in the run game. Uh, you know, Damian Wilson has been inconsistent at times, but he's really a thumper. I mean, he comes through that hole, and he really lays the wood. Um, so, it, you know, you always want to have him there first, second down, uh, you know, when teams are likely to run the ball. Uh, Miles Jack is over the place, but like you mentioned, he has been in and out of practice over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I fully expect him to play. Uh, and I'm not too against seeing what Shaq Quarterman has. You know, I think 
he does find himself in the wrong place at times. Um, I think that comes with, you know, the lack of experience really at this point. But when Shaq Griffin, I'm sorry, Shaq Griffin, uh, when Shaq Quarterman does find the ball, he can lay a couple licks as well. So I don't think we're totally uh, out in the woods there with uh, without Damian Wilson, but you'd like to have that guy in there for sure. Yeah, and he's the veteran. Um, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing to see more Shaq Quarterman, see if you have a potential run stuffing inside linebacker with him, um, the second year player out of Miami, hometown kid. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Hopefully, you can get all those guys ready to go this weekend in Los Angeles. Follow us on Twitter. Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. All right, so it's time for just a little bit of General Jag's talk. Tyson Campbell, best performance of his young career. Uh, fantastic interception, two big pass breakups. He really came up big uh, in pursuit and defending of the run, def- defending the uh, shallow flats. Highest graded rookie by PFF. Uh, of week 12 i mean i can't say enough about not only just this performance on its own it was great performance like a pro bowl level performance but this performance combined with what we've seen the last few weeks and then coming from what it was before his injury where he was just one of the worst corners in football it's been a crazy stretch of growth for tyson campbell it absolutely has, and and I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I would need to see more from him. Um, we need to see more of these types of games to really sell me on his potential productivity and on his potential, uh, you know, spot here on the Jaguars defense. And he did just that on Sunday. Still not quite sold yet. I need to see it a few more times. We have some time. We got six weeks left, um, you know, to make some of those plays. But what he showed me on Sunday was was an absolutely great performance. He had a couple great pass breakups and that interception. I mean, that just shows you uh, the peak of his athleticism, his speed, the, the ability for him to really go from one zone to the next in a matter of a split second and make a play on that ball was phenomenal to see. I didn't think he was going to get there. I don't think a corner really in the NFL has that range, but we know Tyson Campbell is long. He's a lanky guy. Uh, you know, he gives you that size and he gives you that speed and he showed it off there. I mean, watching him drop down, uh, you know, into the flat in that cover two look read the quarterback's eyes, understand where the ball's going, and then make it back to the ball while also making sure the quarterback had no flat zone to throw it to. I mean, you can't draw it up any better than that. You really can. I mean, that's the per- that's the perfect way to run cover two because that's the soft spot in the zone. A corner not making that play happens pretty frequently, and that ball's going right over the flat, right into that little soft spot in the cover two. But when you have a guy like that with that kind of range that can get back there and make that play, it's going to make quarterbacks think twice when they go to throw that ball. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Matt Ryan didn't think he was going to get there either. <laughs> I mean, That's I, for sure. I, I don't know if anybody did in the stadium. I mean, I, I saw, I, you know, but we talked about this. He's got to have his eyes on the quarterback. He doesn't yeah. have the instincts. And that's what we knew it all along. But I mean, that's that's the very perfect example of it. Uh, you know, we, we know that when he does not have his head turned around and his, and his eyes on the quarterback or eyes towards the ball, he tends to get lost. He doesn't read receivers' body language very well, and that's what great shutdown corners do, to be honest with you. They're able to identify whether or not the ball is coming their way just based on the receiver, the way they move. I mean, some guys talk about they can see in their eyes when their eyes get big and their eyes light up. They know the ball's coming. They can turn around. He doesn't have that just yet. He may have developed it. Who knows? But he doesn't have that, and we knew he wasn't the best you know, 
ball skill corner to begin with coming in, but that is exactly his strength, exactly what you see when you talk about the player, the mold, and what we've always just complimented him on. He put it all on display right there. Yeah, he did. Uh, the run defense for the Jaguars, as the pass defense is kind of coming together a little bit, looking much more respectable, the run defense is falling off a little bit. And it hasn't been for entire games. But the first half of games the last three weeks against the Colts, 49ers, and the Falcons with Cordero Patterson, that run defense has just been gashed over and over and over again. I, I, I don't think that the scheme just suddenly broke. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. It's just missed assignments. Yeah, it could be. It could be offensive adjustments, uh, you know, by the opponents as well. And they could be scheming things up to to stop what we were doing well. Um, we made some adjustments at some point through the season, as we've noted, and you know, the past couple podcasts that really elevated this defense to the next level. Uh, and you know, it started with the run defense, in my opinion. They were able to shut teams down on the run, um, and then were able to attack in the pass rush game. And, and the secondary got a little bit of confidence, and the D line got a little bit of confidence. But like you mentioned. It's really hard to play defense when you can't stop the run. In the last couple of weeks, the Jaguars have gotten behind in games just because of that. Like you mentioned, Jonathan Taylor had a historic first quarter against us, and, and Cordero Patterson uh, had a field day on Sunday. So it's going to make things a little bit tougher, especially going forward. You know, when, when you have teams that aren't necessarily super strong in the run game, for example, the Atlanta Falcons, when you give them the ability to run the ball, it really is going to cause the defense to struggle and it's going to cause your team to struggle. And the Jaguars have to stop getting behind so early in games. And obviously some of that falls in the offense as well, but the defense has to stand up. They have to make more than one or two big stops in a game. I mean, sometimes we feel like the Jaguars are usually on their heels, uh, you know, especially early on. And, you know, they may get a stop here and there to kind of keep things close because this is the NFL and teams aren't scoring 50, 60 points a game. You know, you're usually within two or three scores if you can, you know, just keep yourself somewhat in the game. The Jaguars need to do a little bit more on defense. They've got to get better. They've got to get more stops. They've got to bring it around as a total unit. Like you mentioned, you know, the, the, the past defense kind of stepped up and now the run defense is kind of falling off. So you got to find that balance and you got to get both things working in harmony at the same time. Yeah, it's tough to do. And especially when not all it's not the most talented defense in the world. There's guys you really like out there, but it certainly uh, could use some upgrades and some spots for sure. And this is still a team beating themselves, you know, with the penalties, um, especially penalties uh, on fourth down, uh, penalties on third down after you got off the field. It's it's tough to watch when that happens. Yeah, it was tough to stomach again for the second week, just extending drives. I mean, uh, really the third week almost at this point, you know, the, we had some penalty issues uh, against Indianapolis, definitely had our penalty issues against San Fran. Obviously, we talked about with the ejection, extending drives, and, and, and getting the 49ers in position to, to keep points on the board consistently. We saw that again here on Sunday. I mean, the first drive of the game. How many times did they extend that drive? I think twice on third downs uh, and fourth downs to, to, to score a touchdown. And then, and then later, uh, you force them, you hold them to a field goal. And then what do you do? You jump on the field goal. Okay, well, they get five more yards there. And I'm pretty sure that ended up in a touchdown. And you got a, a leverage penalty by Roy Robertson Harris for jumping over the center. I mean, that's just, that, that's textbook. That's textbook. You know you can't do that. I don't know where your head's at. And usually we're Harper on the offense. 
for the dumb penalties. You know, they they are always, you know, backing up the offense, getting them in, you know, first and 20 and, and Juwan Taylor and all these guys have been making boneheaded plays. Which there was some of that in this one too. Which there was. There absolutely <laughs> was, and we can't get rid of that either. But the defense, it feels like right now, their penalties, their mistakes over the last three weeks really have been far more impactful to the outcome of the game. You can't extend drives for the offense when you finally get a stop and hold them on third down or on fourth down. That contributes to your offense being down 14, 17 points at times, and this is the NFL. That's not a, a, a deficit that you can just come back from you know, on an every-game basis. It's just not. Yeah. Looking at Trevor Lawrence, I thought overall – another solid outing for him. Um, There was a little bit of accuracy stuff going on in the first half, but I think a lot of that had to do with the receivers being in wrong spots. And Urban Meyer confirmed that obviously the interception uh, you got Marvin Jones doubled up uh, deep down the field, down the left side, and he has no separation. I just, Trevor, and this is a play where Marvin Jones lined up illegally. Um, It looked like maybe the defense had jumped. And so it looked like maybe Trevor just thought that it was a free play. But after the game, Trevor confirmed he didn't think it was a free play. It was just another miscommunication between him and Marvin Jones. To me, if you're not thinking that's a free play, that's a ball you just can't throw. Yeah, I... Trevor has said all the right things in all these press conferences. So he hasn't made any excuses. So I didn't expect him to come out and just say, oh, yeah, I thought that was just a, a totally free play. So I just threw it up and they screwed us. He, he's not that kind of guy. So, I, you know, I don't really know what went through his mind there. I agree with you. That didn't look like a ball that you throw if it's not a free play. You know, it, it kind of seemed like, a, hey, let's just see what happens here. What the hell type of ball. Like- I mean, if it's DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams or <laughs> yeah. like someone like that, you know, I get it. But or any not receiver not on the Jaguars roster at this point. Um, yeah. And also, Trevor Lawrence, he doesn't make those decisions. Like, he's not a guy just to kind of throw things up to chance and see what happens. And, you know, it, it kind of really goes to show that, that either mentally – these guys aren't right right now, whether it be the losing or the struggles or whatever. But, you know, we've talked about it. The regression is real right now. And the fact now that it's gotten to the point where receivers are running the wrong routes or, or reading the defense the wrong way, it's one of two things here. It's They've got their heads up their asses, and we're not doing things the proper way. And we're 11 weeks, 12 weeks into the season now, and and we're taking steps back. Like, that. that is, that is monumental. Or, uh, you know, or it's just the, the offense is too complicated. It's got to be one or the other. They, they they must not be reading the defense right. A lot of choice routes, maybe. Maybe there's a lot of choice routes, you know, sits and goes and stuff like that. You have to read the defense, and maybe we don't have the right guys out there running these routes to read it properly. Maybe Marvin should have sat, but instead he took off to the sideline and, you know, stuff like that. But Trevor Lawrence is not a guy who throws to receivers. He's a guy that throws to spots. He reads the zone, reads the defense well. He knows where guys are supposed to be and where he can put that ball into the zone, into the defense to make it a completion. At least that's how I look at it when I watch him throw the ball. When I watch him read the defense, he doesn't throw to the receiver. He throws the ball to the spot. So that one specifically throwing to the left over there, I think he was throwing to Marvin. He kind of skipped in there. Maybe it was LaVisca, but it was very clear that that he was not in the right spot. I think Trevor thought he was going to sit, and he kept going. And he kind of just threw it into space. And and that's it. Just it, They're not on the same page. And so it's, like I said, it's either one or two things. You're not doing it right. You're not reading these things the right way, um, or the offense is just too complicated, but you've got to figure something out because we only seem to get worse every week. 
Speaking to that, though, that Trevor Lawrence throwing to spots in a good light. How about that play to Tavon Austin, the touchdown pass? You have a, a nice little route combination there with the tight end stopping at the goal line, little curl or stop route. And then you have Austin running a slant right behind him. It's kind of a little pick, gets in the way of Austin's guy a little bit. And Trevor Lawrence just throws it to the perfect spot in the back of the end zone. Tavon Austin goes up and gets it, gets his toe drag swag of the day. And that was just, that was beautiful. That's what you want to see a lot more of. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Again, the picks, the rubs, that kind of stuff to get guys open because they're not getting themselves open. That's what you got to do. And look what happens when you finally do it. Holy crap, we got a touchdown. Like, it just it blows me away that it's taken this long for us to figure this kind of crap out. I mean, Tavon Austin did it perfectly. He, he ran that perfect. Like you said, the tight end sits right at the goal line and forces the outside corner to pick a leverage side. Is he going to play leverage inside? Is he trying to get back over the top of Tavon Austin? Well, if that's the case, it's one-on-one, and Tavon Austin can just bust that out. Quick out real quick probably going to have the space right there as well. But instead he takes the outside leverage and Tavon Austin cuts it back up inside a little bit towards the goalpost. And like you said, perfect throw Trevor Thornton right to a spot. You got to see more of that. Those choice routes, there, there has to be something, you know, built in there, uh, you know, based on the leverage as most routes have that. And, and you got to have guys that do it properly and you do it like that. It looks beautiful. I mean, could you imagine that on like a third and two or a third and one or something like that, or a second one, second two, you want to take a shot right there up the seam. You make that leverage call. You 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 make take that up the seam deep ball with a speed type of guy. I mean, those are where your big plays come from. Yeah, yeah. So again, Trevor can't throw that pick that he threw, but overall, I thought he played very well. Did a really good job with his legs. Uh, fought throughout the second half. Kind of got the Jags back in the game. Led three scoring drives. One of them ends up being a field goal because of a Daria Gumbawale drop. The other one you have. Jawan Taylor just kind of <laughs> getting the team out of scoring range, and then Daryl Bevel just running three straight vertical route or vertical route concepts, and of course those haven't been working against man coverage, which is exactly what the Falcons were running. So uh, you know, just more of the team kind of beating itself in those situations. James Robinson, speaking of beating yourself. Uh, you knew as soon as PFF tweeted it out last week that he'd never fumbled the ball, that it was going to be coming. They jinxed him good. James Robinson fumbled the ball right around the Jaguars' own 30-yard line, giving the Falcons great field position. Um, another first-half turnover kind of killing this team. Yeah, it, it definitely sucks to see the best player on the field you know, unfortunately get sucked into that mistake. But what you can't do after that is you can't sit him out for 16 straight offensive plays. No you way. cannot do that. It boggles my mind. And as a head coach, for you to sit there and say, I don't know why that was happening. You got to ask somebody else. You cannot. That cannot be your answer. I mean, it just no. boggles my mind. By far, without question, the best offensive player, maybe even the best player on this team. First I'd fumble, say so. First fumble. I'd say he's the best player. You could definitely make the argument for it. I mean, there's some guys out there. Uh, Griffin and Jack who and Josh Allen who were going to make obviously a push for that but I mean regardless borderline one of those types of guys first fumble and how many carries and I know he's PFF obviously very very obviously jinxed it you knew it was coming everybody knew it was coming um but your first fumble in a year and a half of football 
400 something carries or something like that. Something ridiculous. You can't do that to a guy. You can't do that to a guy. He doesn't deserve it. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about the mistakes. If I'm not mistaken, that uh, Dari Ogumbawale drop pass down there near the goal line, that drive actually started out, uh, or not that drive, that portion of the drive started out as a first and goal. Uh, and then we're pretty sure we're backed up by a Jawan Taylor holding penalty. Um, and then obviously, you know, whatever happened, the miscommunication, I think from what it looks like to me is that maybe they had a first sound or, or some sort of different cadence. It wasn't an on one. It wasn't a normal kind of cadence. It looked like Trevor was maybe trying to kill the play and Linder just kind of snapped it and Linder's been out for a couple weeks. So maybe they were on the same page there, but regardless here down there towards the goal line again, please tell me why you've got Dario Gumbawale in the game and not James Robinson. I don't care what the situation is. There should be no reason at all whatsoever that man is not in the game. And that was a very clear that, – that was a touchdown. He dropped a, a wide-open touchdown. If you make that throw, uh, James Robinson probably doesn't drop that ball. And you can't really give yeah. your, yourself the chance to even think about that. The best players are in the game in crunch time. In the biggest situations, in the biggest scenarios, you have to have your best guys out there. Why wasn't he out there? Yeah, personnel decisions for Daryl Bevel are as baffling as – the vertical, the just the continued just smashing home the vertical route tree when it's not working with these guys. They can't separate. They can't run the vertical route tree. You just keep doing it. It's wild. We could keep harping on Daryl Bevel all day, but I think everybody that listens to this show, everybody that's on this show, you and I, uh, we've talked about it ad nauseum. We don't need to continue. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I just I I wasn't gonna continue. I would just you said it, and <laughs> as much as I want to keep harping on him, keep, yeah, yeah, God, I mean, everybody knows at this point. <laughs> so that leads us to something that's exciting. I think our first three round mock draft of the 2022 draft season. So pretty simple here: three round Jaguars mock draft. We ran over on the draft network. We will dive into it. Um, the Jaguars have 12 draft picks coming up. They have two third-round picks, one first-round pick, one second-round pick. So we will get into all of that right now. And so running through this TDN mock draft, they keep having Aiden Hutchinson fall into three. Jeremy and I talked about this. I believe there's zero chance that Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau falls to three. I think they're going to be the first two picks. I'm willing to make a bet on this with Jeremy here that those are going to be the first two picks. They're not going to be available for the Jaguars if the Jaguars stay at three. If the Jaguars foul up, lose to the Texans, get up to number two, obviously you're going to have your pick of one of those two guys. But if the Jaguars are at three, I'm betting – no chance that Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau are available. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Those are by far the the top two prospects in the draft right now as it stands. However, we're just too far away from the draft right now to really know. And and I know we talked about this beforehand and, and how unpredictable things are right now, especially in December of the NFL season. The draft's not till April. But just knowing how much changes between now and in the draft and even after the Super Bowl in the draft and the combine and everything, you know, is a team going to move up to two for a quarterback? 
Maybe. God, Doubtful. I hope not. Doubtful. Well, but as someone that covers the Jaguars and roots for the Jaguars, big Jaguars fans, both of us here, yes, hopefully a team moves <laughs> up for a quarterback. Right. I just don't see it happening. And it's probably far-fetched, and I get that for sure. But I'm just putting out all the different things that potentially happen between now and then that at some point someone's going to fall, someone's going to rise, moves are going to be made somewhere, some way, someone's going to be that surprise pick. You know, we all thought it was going to be Mac Jones and San Fran, uh, you know, and at the very least it would have to be Justin Fields, right? But no, it was Trey Lance. And that came on kind of late too. So all of these things can happen. I just, I, I feel like that the narrative on, on Kayvon Thibodeau is, is still, obviously he's very highly thought of, but as Hutchinson starts to kind of, you know, take off and, and Michigan starts to really kind of vault themselves into the national conversation as they push for a playoff spot, I think somebody's going to fall. Somebody's going to fall. One of the two. Probably Kayvon is probably more likely. But I think at three, at least one of them is going to be there. So I'm willing to make that bet with you. I know we tried one last year, and I honestly forgot about it until you brought it up today. But we should absolutely put this one on the books. Uh, you know, maybe get a little friendly wager in it. Uh, maybe a little like uh, punishment or something for the loser and, and take it from there. But I definitely think one of them is going to be available at three. Yeah, I'm making a note of our bet right here. There you go. Hutch. And Thibodeau, top two. Look at last year, we bet. I I told you, I thought Zach Wilson was definitely going to go top five. I think that was like, that was pretty like midway through the college football season last year. And um, you told me I was crazy. I did. Guess what? He went number two overall. He did. And I wasn't saying that because like I thought he should go top five. By the end of the thing, I, I, he was the fourth quarterback on my board. I had Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence in front of him. Um, but yeah, went number two overall. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be our bet. We'll keep an eye on throughout the rest of the draft season and leading up to the draft. I've got Aiden Hutchinson and Thibodeau one and two. Jeremy thinks something else will happen. But as we currently sit on December 1st, Evan Neal, Kyle Hamilton, Derek Stingley, these are the guys that I believe are going to be there for the Jaguars at three. Um, assuming Hutchinson and Thibodeau are gone for this exercise, because I do think that's the most likely scenario, we have those those guys available for the Jaguars at number three. Plethora of wide receivers. Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Bama. Derek Stingley's the corner from LSU. Kyle Hamilton, the do-it-all safety from Notre Dame. I've got us taking Evan Neal here at number three overall. The Jaguars have Cam Robinson on the franchise tag this year. No clue what's going to happen there. Jawan Taylor's not playing well at right tackle. Andrew Norwell is in a contract year. AJ Can's in a contract year. Evan Neal has successfully transitioned from guard to right tackle to left tackle at Alabama. He is six foot seven. He is in between 350 and 365 pounds, moves like a guy that's in between 310 and 320 pounds. Excellent athlete. Very good flexibility for a guy his size. It's something he prides himself on. He will give his body up, life and limb, to go protect his quarterback. And one of my favorite things, besides the versatility, besides the obvious uh, skill and talent there, one penalty all year. Yeah, he's he's an absolute freak. Um, I, I can't knock that pick at number three. I mean, Evan Neal would be a phenomenal pickup for the Jaguars. I think the good thing about this year's draft, at least in my opinion, and you might not agree with this, but 
the talent in the top five, you know, the, the top five guys seem to be pretty consensus. Thibodeau, Hamilton, Neil, Hutchinson, Stingley. And it kind of yeah, seems for the like, most part, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of seems like those five guys are just head and shoulders above the rest of the field. So I think picking in 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 the five top five here, you really can't go wrong with any one of those guys. That is my blatant honest opinion. Doesn't matter where you're picking, one through five this year, honestly. And do I think obviously some guys offer, you know, a little bit more than others, depending on how they fit your team, what your needs are, yes. But I think no matter where you pick in the top five, those five guys I just named, they're all going to be cornerstones of your franchise. They're all studs. Evan Neal, I mean, is just an absolute behemoth of a human being. You mentioned it. 6'7", 350, the ability to play tackle, the ability to play guard, the discipline to only have one penalty this season. When all we talk about and harp on every single week are the penalties, this guy's only had one. I mean, that has got to be something to you. It has to be. I mean, it's probably the best. You probably put him on the team right now, and he's probably the best offensive lineman on the team. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with granted, you. I mean, Brandon and, Linder might have something to say about that. And Norwell. Uh, and Norwell, yeah. But Norwell's played great. That is how good Evan Neal is, especially if you kept him in at guard. Uh, which I don't think you want to do, but let's say uh, you figure out that Walker Little can play right tackle, and he's he's good over there, and you bring Cam Robinson back. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways it could go. No matter what you do, Evan Neal is going to be one of the Jaguars' five best offensive linemen next year, probably one of the two best offensive linemen for the Jaguars if they take him at number three. And um, he's a guy that is, I think, still improving. The sky is the limit for him. Uh, he's he's a more advanced Mekki Becton, in my opinion. Mekhi Becton. Yeah, I mean, same, the, same. Size, the size and athleticism and all that yeah. stuff is there, comparable between them. But I just think he has a much better baseline of play than Becton. Right, right. A lower floor, probably the same amount of ceiling, maybe a little bit higher. I mean, Mekhi Becton's a freak, too, about the same size. And the way they both move, I mean, just unbelievable but i think the jaguars personally don't have enough depth across the offensive line and obviously drafting of neil doesn't completely fix that we have to make more moves but i think one of the issues that they're currently presenting themselves with right now is even with all the issues on the offensive line with penalties and poor play there's no other real options behind them you know, you they're they're scared for whatever reason to play Walker Little consistently. Um, you know, he only comes in in the event of injury. We've both mentioned that I think they should go ahead and give him a chance at right tackle just to see what he can do due to how poorly Jawan Taylor has played. Um, so you've got to take that into consideration. The Jaguars need depth. They need depth, and it sucks that you know you've got a guy here that you've been working with for two or three years, but. You know, you draft Evan Neal, he immediately supplants somebody on that offensive line. Doesn't matter if it's AJ Can. You know, doesn't matter if you've got Walker Little over that right tackle and it's AJ Can. You put Evan Neal in a guard, that's fine. If you bring back Cam and you bring back Norwell, and you've got Cam, Norwell, Linder, Evan Neal, Walker Little, hopefully not Jawan Taylor at that point. I mean, you might set yourself up for a little bit of a better year. Okay. You, yeah. don't, you, don't, you don't think you're going to do that? You want to bring in a guard, sign a guard, bring in a couple free agents? Cool. Evan Neal, right tackle, left tackle. You let Cam walk and put Walker a little over. I mean, there's just so many things you could do with that. And it, it and because he is so flexible in his positioning, I mean, he just it's it's a luxury to have a guy like that. You can move him across the entire offensive line basically without playing center and, and you can find out a way to get him in there. You're kind of stuck 
with Walker Little, Jawan Taylor, and some of these other guys because they don't have that flexibility. Yeah, and when you look at um, some people have talked about taking a wide receiver at three. I just think with Neil Stingley and Hamilton, there's no way you can pass on those guys for one of these receivers, even though I love these receivers. Part of the problem with taking a receiver at three is the fact that you could get them later on. You could get somebody really good a little bit later on in my mind. And when you look at your top two players as a package, right? If you look at Evan Neal and then take your pick of one of the top four, five, six receivers in the draft, would you rather have that or would you rather have Garrett Wilson and an offensive lineman that's not as good as Evan Neal? You know what I'm saying? Evan Neal is the premium talent out of all the guys. So you want to get the best guy possible, especially at the top of the first round. 100%. And, and that's kind of what I mentioned about earlier with, with those top five guys are just so much above the rest of the field doesn't matter what position just in value goes back to the need uh, versus you know the positional value and the need of that positional value versus uh, you know just a player in the draft and where you get them and all that kind of good stuff I, I I think this is a perfect example of that and not to mention I think that wide receiver is the deepest position in this draft class this year like you yeah. mentioned you can get a guy at three. You can also probably get another badass guy at 33, you know, and, and, and vice versa. You don't have to reach and make that grab now. I mean, I think you have so many options later in the draft. You have to get one of these premier guys at three. You yeah. have that top five pick. Don't waste it. I agree with you 100%. And out of the guys we're looking at here, Evan Neal's the only one who directly helps Trevor Lawrence be a better quarterback, and that's huge. Now, moving on to the second round, the Jaguars currently are slated to have the 34th overall pick, the second pick in the thir- in the second round. Uh, because the Texans and Jaguars are tied with the same record, uh, when you get to the second round, you flip the picks. So the Texans would have 35, the Jaguars would have 34. TDN currently does not have that updated properly. It has the Jaguars at 37 for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. But the Jaguars are at 34. You definitely could just sit here and wait and pick the best receiver left on the board because there's going to be a guy that's going to be really good. But I think if you have the opportunity to trade back up into the 20s and get the guy that best fits what Trevor can do, I think you do it. I think you give up 34, a fifth, and a seventh to go up into the mid-20s and get Jamison Williams from Alabama if he is still on the board. This guy is going to be running in the four threes. He's six foot two, 190 pounds, great catch radius, excellent hands. And he's not just a speed demon. He really is able to sit down in his routes, get in and out of those breaks cleanly, and create separation. And I just think it's a match made in heaven between him and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, you have to get Trevor some help here. And like you mentioned, this is the right spot to do it. I hope the Jaguars move back up in the first round. I hope later on they move back up in the second. I hope they make a bunch of moves. I hope they don't take all 12 draft picks this year. We saw how that happened in the past and how that turned out. 
Go ahead and take those picks, package them up, and get a couple of, of higher quality guys. Go ahead and go after an extra day one guy. Go after an extra uh, one or two day two guys. Do some stuff like that. I think this is a great move by the Jaguars to move back up. Get a guy like Jameson Williams. I mean, just the numbers that he has put up, the the athleticism and the speed. Oh, excuse me, the speed hiccups here. The speed that he has shown uh, through his time, not only at Ohio State, but also at Alabama. Um, you know, he had to leave the Ohio State room because they were so complicated. He go, or not, not complicated, so crowded. He goes to Alabama and becomes a stud there. Like, like yeah, he, John Mechie's supposed to be the guy coming into yeah. the season for Bama, and Jamison Williams just blows it out of the water. It's not like he left Ohio State and went to Missouri or went to, you know, a small – he went to Alabama, who is the cream of the crop, who is probably wide receiver you. I mean, honestly, who could you really – and still, just the things that he does at Alabama, this guy can do it. And, and like you said, we are working here – early on to make Trevor a better quarterback directly and getting him a weapon like Jamison Williams does that. And I mean, look at his pedigree. His parents are both track athletes. He holds the uh, uh, Missouri state record in the hurdles. I mean, all of this stuff just points to, I think you said he had four, three speed that he clocked a six, two. So he's not small one ninety. I mean, so he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a thinner guy, but he's long, he's lanky. Uh, You know, he's, he's just a freak athlete. How could you not look at a guy like that and be like, that's exactly who I want my quarterback throwing the ball to? Yeah, he's got good body control going up and getting it too. So uh, special talent. I think if he had been a starter at Ohio State or Alabama for two seasons, you're probably talking about a top 10 pick type of guy. He might still be. uh, There's a lot of talented receivers. If Jamison Williams isn't the guy that you can get, you still go get one of these talented receivers, in my opinion, uh, with your second pick. Um, And then moving later on into round three, where the Jaguars have two picks. I have another trade up here. Uh, Why? I I see a potential potential freak pass rusher. I think he could do really well in a 3-4. He hasn't been playing football a really long time. Originally from Cameroon, Arnold Ebicady trade um, 74 and 154 to get up to pick 58 and take Arnold Ebicady, or Ebicady, I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced there, but this is a guy, 6'3", 250, um, transferred from Temple, had a really shortened season in 2020, but he was kind of coming on despite not playing much because of COVID um, impacting the season. But transferred to Penn State this year, he's been an absolute monster for the Nittany Lions. Um <laughs> He's been racking up pressures, and this is against Big Ten competition, um, against Ohio State, against Michigan, against uh, Iowa, you know, teams that have quality offensive lines. And this guy has shown speed and burst around the edge. He can convert speed to power. He has primarily primarily played the 4-3 end, but in pass rush situations, they have let him line up in the two-point stance and attack that way. He's shown a spin move that's nasty. He's shown stack and shed. He can chop and uh, get get around you real quick. He's been pretty devastating for Penn State this year. Yeah, he, he's he been someone that uh, I hadn't really watched a whole lot before this, but, I mean, seeing some of his tape now, I just – I, I'm a, I'm a little surprised. I mean, just 
you know, like you mentioned, a guy who hasn't really played a lot of football in his life, you know, kind of, you know, brings back memories of like a Ziggy Ansah type of guy, which hopefully doesn't pan out the same way because that obviously was a little bit of a bust there. But he had some amazing years. He, at the end. Yeah, he really had, caught up with him. He had some decent, decent years, but never really, you know, filled. Yeah, that you know, just just the the almost legend of Ansa before he even played in the NFL. But anyways, back back to Arnold here. Um, but yeah, didn't play a lot of football. I mean, did, didn't really get a starting job until 2020, um, and that was the first year he played at Temple, uh, and then transferred over to Penn State. And and that's also quite a jump up going from uh, you know the American Conference up to the Big Ten. You know, like you mentioned, just some big time college football goes on out there. Some great offensive line play. I looked at his play from Auburn this year to see how he would fare against an SEC offensive line, and he did great. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, he does play more of that traditional four three. The Jaguars have kind of gone away from this year. But the thing that I notice when I watch him is that when he does transition to that two point stance, to that stand up edge rushing type position in third and longs and in obvious pass situations, is the hand speed, the way he's able to move his hands and fight with his hands without them having to come up on their own. You know, when you go out of a four-point stance or a three-point stance off the defensive line, you're coming forward. As you come forward, your body comes up and your hands come up already with you. I mean, it kind of sets you up for success there. You're able to knock guys off their position, get good leverage. When you're coming out of the two-point stance, you have to create that. You have to be an athletic guy who can create leverage mismatches, who can use their hands uh, to cut, you know, to kind of knock guys off their mark, especially when they're trying to get their hands on you. And he did that very well. I uh, saw him stand up offensive tackles multiple times, did not let them reach outside. He was able to control C gap. He was able to use that big athletic six four frame to get under some of these bigger offensive linemen, attack them at the point of attack, and keep them uh, from driving him up the field. I mean. He made some great plays uh, in this film and, and would be a guy that I think would fit very well uh, in this scheme. Like you said, 6'4", 260, you know, big guy, but still lean, still fast. It can bend the edge. Yeah, and um, he's a guy that, honestly, I don't know if he's going to be around at 58, but at, at this point in the draft process, that's where we're looking at his range. I think he'll be gone earlier it is possible he is there when it's all said and done because this is an incredibly deep edge group. And uh, depending on what teams are looking for, Ebicati, because he's not really a, a pure run defender yet, and I think he's going to transition in the NFL to more of a 3-4 role than the 4-3 role. So there's some questions there kind of. Uh, but like you said, he's shown it on tape that he can do it. And uh, I think he could be... He could be a pass rush specialist early on in his career for the Jaguars if he comes here, um, kind of working behind Dewan Smoot and Josh Allen and then expanding his role as he gets more comfortable and uh, gets taught up by Joe Cullen and Tosh Lapoy. Next up, have another third-round pick at 83. I've got tight end as Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. This is a guy, 6'4", uh, 240 pounds. I think he moves really well for a tight end. I think he has great hands. Uh, I think his fluidity in and out of his routes, I know you'll talk a little bit about his running style, but I think he gets in and out of his breaks really quickly for a tight end. And and he's make no mistake about it. He is a move tight end. He's not a 
balanced tight end. He is a move tight end, and I think he's the type of guy that Trevor Lawrence could uh, could really benefit from. Yeah, well, good thing the Jaguars have plenty of blocking tight ends uh, on the roster currently. So um, we need a guy with a little bit of a different skill set here. And and yeah, he he does move well in space, obviously poses a mismatch for uh, any linebacker trying to cover him, um, you know, and, and he's fast and he has great hands and he made a couple of nice one-handed catches in the tape that I did see. But you did mention uh, the odd running style. He doesn't seem like the most fluid runner. Uh, if you go and watch some of his tape, it does seem like he kind of keeps his knees down towards his waist a little bit. Uh, or I'm, not, I'm sorry, not his knees. You can't really keep your knees in your waist. That'd be awful. Elbows, elbows towards the waist, and doesn't really get that full arm pump as he runs. Kind of just bends at the elbows. Looks a little little funky. You can work on that. You can definitely grow in that regard. Something I would need to dive into a little bit deeper is you know him getting in and out of his routes like you mentioned. Uh, I didn't see a lot of great angles, unfortunately, with that. I need to look at some better tape here. Uh, but to see a tight end kind of get in and out of routes fluidly and create that separation would be a huge dynamic to this offense, one they don't currently have. I mean, Dan Arnold does it very well, but even then, this guy looked like a little bit more uh, athletic than Dan Arnold, I will say. But you need that kind of guy. You know, that, that, that Travis Kelsey, that Evan Ingram, if he, you know, really ended up, you know, coming out to be that kind of player that we expect him to be David and Joku type, um, you know, those, those running tight ends, those guys who are supposed to be a little bit more fluid, uh, you know, get in space, catch the ball and make plays with the ball out in space. You need a guy like that. Those tight ends are a dime a dozen in the NFL. And as we start to see them, you know, kind of come to the forefront of football. I think that position is starting to evolve. Guys like this are going to be a premium. So go ahead and get one now while you can. The only guy that I think I would have maybe considered here, and we talked about beforehand, I do like Jalen Weidemeyer a ton. Um, he's been a guy who's been, you know, really heavily looked at the last couple of years for the tight end draft. We're looking at him, um, you know, it, it's his time now. You know, he, he's been tracked. He's had some issues this year, but that's a guy that I think if, he, if he's there, at 83 as well, that I would be kind of hard to pass up on, um, especially when you're kind of getting a guy like Likely out of Coastal Carolina. Nothing against it, but you know you see More a tight competition. End, I hear you. you see the tight end from the SEC. You see what he does in the past. I mean, you know, you still kind of got those hopes there. Maybe I shouldn't look at it that way, but I, I'd be hard pressed to not at least consider that very heavily at 83 if he was also there. Well, and the good thing about this, it's December 1st. Um, it is very early. This is a very preliminary look at what a three-round Jaguars mock draft could be. Uh, I think the key here is really the first two picks. Evan Neal, Jamison Williams, if you were able to leave the draft uh, w- with your first two picks being Evan Neal and, and Jamison Williams or another one of those really talented wide receivers, uh, I think you've hit a home run. Obviously, you'd love to get your hands on Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, but if you can't, this is a really good consolation prize. Yeah, I agree. I think at three with that, you know, potential to have both edge rushers off the board, all the temptation just off the table. I think Evan Neal is the best fit for the Jaguars at three. Um, you know, I think, you know, you, you just signed a safety in Rayshon Jenkins. You just drafted another one in Andre Cisco, who for some reason is still in the doghouse and, and does not see the field, but that's not the point here. Don't need another safety. I don't think it's worth putting more draft capital in there. Uh, Derek Stingley obviously thinks he's a great player, but you're starting to see 
Tyson Campbell evolve, and I believe that they are really high on him in that building, as they should be, hopefully. Um, and you have Shaq Griffin as well, so I think it makes the most sense to get a guy like Evan Neal. And like you mentioned, if it's not Jamison Williams, if it's one of those top wide receivers of this class, top five, um, you've got to be really happy. I mean, you really do. I know that you said that, and I'll say it again. You've got to be really, really happy with how day one turns out if this is what you come away with. Yeah. So that's going to do it for the first three-round mock draft. Obviously, let us know what you think. Now we've got to talk about Jaguars-Rams, and there's really not all that much to talk about when it comes to this contest outside of you know the fact that a lot of Jaguars fans, a lot of people that cover the team thought OBJ might be a little helpful to Trevor Lawrence. He ends up going to Los Angeles. You've got, um, obviously, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Jalen Ramsey. Urban Meyer talked about him today. He said he loves him, said Jalen Ramsey gets really upset when things don't go right. (laughs) You can say that again, coach. Yeah, we haven't seen that before, have we? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just, man, here the Rams come and, you know, just they're just they're kind of like that that ghost of yourself over there on the West Coast. You know, you, you add Jalen Ramsey. I mean, a top five player in the NFL, a, a top player at his position, um, just a, a, a franchise turner for the Jaguars. You let that one get away. You had a chance to give your quarterback some help. You didn't take it. And now it would be Jays over there walking the other sideline. I think this is a game for the Jaguars to really slap themselves in the face when it's all said and done. You got this guy over here on defense making all these plays. Well, guess what? He used to be on our team. Yeah, this guy over here that we could have not given a choice to. He would have had to play for us. We could have given our quarterback some some help, and he's over here running all over the field. I, mean, I just think it, it could be that kind of game, and those kind of games, in my opinion, hurt the worst. To see guys that potentially could have been on this team or were on this team just doing you dirty like that, I mean, it's going to be painful to watch. Yeah, they're better than Jaguars in pretty much every conceivable way outside of running the football, but I'm sure Sean McVay – He's seen the trap that the Bills fell into against the Jaguars. He is not going to just go all one-dimensional and let the Jaguars just kind of tee off against the pass. They're going to keep it balanced. Daryl Henderson had a thigh injury that he sustained, and OBJ had a hip. Um, OBJ's limited Wednesday. Daryl Henderson didn't practice, but McVay expects them both to play. So I don't think there's going to be any worries on the Rams front for that. Yeah, and if, if uh, OBJ doesn't play, we got to worry about Cooper Cup and, and the rest of everybody else. Van Jefferson's making plays out there. Like, it's not like they're going to be stuck in the yeah. mud. Higby, yeah, I mean, geez. Yeah, I mean, they've lost three in a row, but it was to the Titans, 49ers, and Packers. I mean, <laughs> I think they're going to have their way with the Jaguars in this one. It's a tough little stretch right there for sure. It definitely is. I mean, and, and the, the biggest thing to take away here is with the Bills, the Bills, I think it was kind of all about hubris. Riding high, we're number one in the NFL and pretty much every power pole. We don't care what you're going to do. We're gonna just going to line up and we're going to beat you. We're going to beat you however we want to. And the Jaguars shut that down. Sean McVay is much, much more cerebral. You know that it doesn't matter who he's playing, how they're playing, um, you know, or how the opponent is playing. He's sitting down. He's looking at the tape. And he is drawing up a game plan to execute, to beat you at what you do. The Bills, it looked like they, like you said, they didn't want to, you know, shy away from what they were doing. They just kept wanting to do it over and over and over again with, with you know, hoping for the different results. And that's the definition of insanity. And Sean McVay is not insane. He's going to sit down, meticulously draw this one out, and he's going to attack the weak points of the Jaguars defense. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I, it's, I think it's going to be pretty ugly. I do think there's a chance for the Jaguars to put together, you know, two, three, four scoring drives, maybe. Uh, probably not with a lot of touchdowns in the, in the mix, but with some tempo with Trevor Lawrence, he kind of got got it going last week. Um, if Dar- if Daryl Bevel can just kind of get it together with the play calling and with the personnel decisions here. I think the Jaguars can score three times, maybe a touchdown, two field goals, two touchdowns and a field goal, but I don't think they're going to make this a close one. I'm glad you clarified that it was going to be four scores, not all touchdowns. Cause for a second there, I did the math in my head and I was like, you really think we're going to put up 28 on the yeah, Rams? Sure. Yeah. If it's four <laughs> scores, it's probably going to be what? Four field goals. A touchdown, three field goals, something yeah. like that. Let's get in the end zone consistently before we start giving them free touchdowns. But, yeah, I mean, they, they they finally put something together there. Again, too late last game against the Falcons. The hurry-up seemed to work. But I heard them talking about that today and during the press conferences and how they were going to change some things and run you know, some more RPO-style stuff, some more stuff that Trevor was comfortable with at Clemson, some more hurry-up stuff. But, I mean, the only problem I have with that is, one – Again, this is the NFL. Things that work in college for certain reasons don't work in the NFL, and I think RPOs are one of those things. You're not going to see a lot of RPO-heavy offenses. You're going to see RPOs. Obviously, the Cardinals do some RPO kind of stuff. Um, you know, a, a lot of teams, the Bills. Well, even. and you kind of need that crazy athlete at quarterback. With Trevor is a great athlete, but he's not Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen even. Well, it's a different RPO. He's just not going to have the extended third option for him to also take the ball and run. It's going to be, I'm going to give this ball right here to James Robinson and only James Robinson because nobody else should be back there getting the ball to make that clear. So I'm either going to give this ball to James Robinson or I'm going to pull it and throw it to the slant, pull it, throw it to a bubble, pull it and throw it to an out, something like that. I doubt they're going to scheme up to him having that third option or on the ball. At least I hope they don't. I mean, they did some read option last week. Yeah, and, and that's different than just the RPO. They're going to bring some yeah. more of that anyway. That's obviously, yeah. you know, uh, I'm reading the end. Either you get it or I get it. But at least at that at that point, if the defense plays the running back, usually you have a little bit of space for the quarterback. He's not going to get hit right away. Those RPOs, when you have three different options, if the defense plays it well, which eventually NFL defenses do, they start accounting for everybody. Um, you know, you you kind of don't give yourself that space and the quarterback can get hit very early. But they're going to throw some more of that in there. I don't know how effective it's going to be. And then to be truthfully honest, that hurry up was great. But let's be real here. The Falcons were kind of playing on their heels for most of that game. They were in cruise control, especially defensively. The Jaguars were down two scores, uh, you know, with eight minutes left or something, whatever it was. They had to score twice, get the ball back, and then score again. I mean, there was no urgency necessarily there for the Falcons' defense. So how much of that success was just the Falcons just kind of playing soft? Again, the NFL, you can't just kind of bring these things in, throw them in willy-nilly and expect them to work. And I think that's kind of unfortunately what we're seeing from the staff. I mean, at this point, almost it kind of feels like they're getting a little desperate. Yeah, I would say they're beyond desperate at this point. But uh, last week you had the Falcons winning. You got yourself to seven and four. I'm sick, sitting at six and five after the loss. What do you got this week? Oh, I got a Rams win. I don't think it's going to be close, and I'm probably not going to disagree on that. Um, I just the defense. I mean, when you look at what they have across the front, Leonard Floyd, he can rush the passer. Now they have Von Miller on the other side. There's much more attention to him. He can rush the passer. Aaron Donald, we all know what he can do. He can do everything. 
Ashawn Robinson is still there too, and he's a great uh, interior defensive lineman. They've got decent linebackers. They've got Jalen Ramsey. Um, you know, their their deep secondary is a little bit shaky, but the Jaguars usually aren't able to get that far into the defense anyway, so they probably won't have any issues there. Offensively, um, Matt Stafford. I mean, he's a phenomenal quarterback, always has been. He's got every chance in L.A. to have the weapons that he needs to repel him going forward. Um, like you mentioned, they've had a couple down games, albeit against great competition. The Tennessee Titans, uh, a divisional rival in the 49ers, who always, you know, you're going to play a divisional rival tough. And, and Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So they go uh, back home. They let the Jaguars come to them. The Jaguars don't play well on the West Coast. This is very well documented. The Rams need to get right. Um, they're better than the Jaguars across the board at every level when it comes to talent. This just kind of seems like the perfect chance for the Rams to really put a beating on the Jaguars. I don't think it's close. Uh, I think it's 38-13, and the Rams take this one mighty easily. All right. So we're pretty much on the same page there. I agree with everything you said. I couldn't couldn't really add anything to it. I think you covered it all, except I've got Rams 31, Jaguars 13. I think they go into cruise control in the second half a little bit, let off the gas, and uh, you kind of see a little bit of what you saw last week. Uh, they're they're late in the game, so the Jaguars are able to muster 13 points. Oh yeah, they muster that 13 uh, with a garbage time touchdown. So it's gonna exactly. be exactly. It's yeah, it's, I, I, that's kind of what I felt you were getting at there too. It's gonna be a garbage time touchdown. It's gonna be something to kind of just you know make you feel good about the ass kicking you just took. I don't think it's gonna be pretty or close at all. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a tough Sunday. Another tough Sunday, and we got. So a couple I'm more not gonna up. catch up to you this week. Yeah, no, we're probably not going to have many uh, catch-up games here going forward. Damn shame. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting final six weeks. Realistically, uh, how many games do you think they can win? I mean, you got the Jets on the schedule. They could beat the Jets and Texans. But I mean, realistically, is that yeah, maybe even like you know, I'm not saying I'm going to pick them, but if you're talking about games they could win, realistically, maybe those two. Yeah, realistically, absolutely. That that that's definitely it. And and. They don't really give me any confidence that they're going to. Zach Wilson has been brutally, brutally awful this year. I think that hasn't been talked about enough. Well, he had the injury, missed some games, um, just came back. I'm not willing to write the kid off yet, but uh, it's it's not been pretty for him to start. That's for sure. I mean, the Jets are terrible too, don't get me wrong. But I mean, just outside of Mac Jones, who I think just – thank the God above that he made it in the situation that he is. I mean, that there was, there's not a better fit in the NFL in the history of anything that's ever happened. I mean, if anyone saw that coming, I mean, that was just the perfect storm for Belichick. So outside of that rookie quarterbacks this year, man, have not had a great go at this. They have not had a great go at this. No, they sure haven't. Well, that's going to do it for the show. Shout out to bold city brewery. Once again, the one and only sponsor of the gin Jack podcast Enjoy the rest of your week, Duval. Hopefully everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And, I mean, hopefully the Jaguars can go out and just uh, not make you feel disrespected this Sunday. But we'll see. We'll see how it all goes down. See how Jalen Ramsey and, uh, and company handle the Jaguars. But, like I said, enjoy the rest of your week and go Jags. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.